What's up, bosses? Before we kick off this episode, I want to tell you about Rad Diversified REIT and what makes them an ideal fund for investors. Rad Diversified offers monthly distributions, a 5% bottom line guarantee. They returned 36.7% in 2020. And in the last 12 months, they've returned 33.42%. Rad Diversified REIT allows investment partners to invest in cash flowing properties with substantial substantial value add opportunities. Rad also kept its entire staff employed, took zero government assistance, and continued to aggressively acquire assets during the pandemic. If you want to take a closer look at what Rad is doing, all you got to do is go to raddiversified.com slash boss. That's rad, R-A-D, diversified, D-I-V-E-R-S-I-F-I-E-D.com slash B-O-S-S. I'm going to tell you even more about Rad during the break, but if you want to check it out now, like I said, it's raddiversified.com slash boss. All right, let's kick off this episode. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. What's up, bosses? Episode 198 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Derek Sparts here home in Los Angeles. Per usual, I think we got Sam Marks in a new spot. Where are you at, Sam? Did you actually know that or was that strictly a guess that I was in a new spot? You sent like a cryptic email that made it sound like you weren't in Barcelona. <laughs> so I figured you're somewhere else. I'm in a small town of Killarney, Ireland, enjoying a, a rainy Irish afternoon from the uh from my hotel room in a robe it's that actually, delightful that actually sounds perfect it hasn't rained in la in seven months six or seven months so wow. <laughs> i kind of missed what? the rain that's We're in a major was, yeah major drought that, right now <laughs> that's how barcelona was i think it rained one time the entire summer that i was there and it was like right before i left and i come up here and it has rained all day every day i think I've been here for seven days. I think there's been about two hours of sunshine, but that uh, is part of the ambiance of Ireland. As anyone that's come here knows, and you wouldn't have all this beautiful green with all that without all that rain. Yeah, totally. There's a there's a happy medium there. There's there's never raining and raining all the time. <laughs> I want somewhere in between, but a, a few days in Ireland oh. actually sounds pretty cool. Yeah, no, just move to Florida. You can have that every day. It rains <laughs> and every day there's sunshine. I've yeah, but then you got to live in Florida. So <laughs> hey, 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 that's my hometown you're talking about. That's my state. <laughs> All right. Um, so on this episode, we're going to talk about the metaverse. No, I'm just kidding. We've already done three episodes like, on that. How much? How much Irish whiskey have I been drinking? Did I, did I get the episodes wrong? <laughs> Taking a little break from the metaverse. Sam actually has on a guest that he's known for quite a while. Uh, Sam, why don't you tell us about who we're going to talk to today? Well, first, let's talk about what we're talking about. We're talking about bed in a box, Derek. Bed in a box. Who doesn't want to talk about bed in a box, you know? What's up with these bed in a boxes? Everyone's buying these bed in a boxes. When it was like, when not did a we thing. shift to this? <laughs> it was not a thing like five years ago. And then all of a sudden, there's a hundred companies that I hear on every podcast advertising a mattress. I, I was just getting comfortable with these, these, all these new brands and, uh, and innovations of the spring mattresses, not <laughs> spring mattresses never innovated. I think the only innovation to the spring mattress has been the pillow top. 
<laughs> yeah. You know? Oh, I got it. I actually, I recently bought a bed in a box. It has springs. It has memory foam and the pillow top. It's amazing. What? Yeah, it's got it's got it all. But uh, how that's do you a whole put story springs in, in a box? Yeah, how do you roll a, a mattress with springs in a box? I don't know. I think that's what we got to figure out from our guests because oh, wow. it was like a small box, but it was heavy. My mattress is ninety five pounds. That is a that's an expensive delivery. Yeah, it was it was an adventure to get it here. I'm going to talk more about that in the <laughs> outro. Um, <laughs> But we got uh, Gabe Dungan on today. They're actually doing a fundraise on Start Engine. And we actually had the CEO of Start Engine, Howard Marks, on the show back on episode 131. But this is the first company we've talked to that's actually running their, their own raise. Um, Sam, yep. how do you know Gabe? Because you guys go way back be you know, before this was even a thing. Yeah. So, so Gabe and I crossed paths doing our, our Chinese stint going back almost a decade ago and back then in in south well you know back, back then in china as a whole but really in shenzhen i mean it was it was a place where you it would be almost completely unrecognizable to where it is today just 10 years later but back then there was kind of a small group of expats that were going over and and, and smelled opportunity and you go over there and it was just it's the workshop of the world but it was extremely unforeign friendly and so there's a you know a, a good group of people that kind of went over there and and cut their teeth and figuring out international trade and and Gabe and um, our buddy Chris was one of them and I happened to be over there doing similar although I was, I was actually setting up our manufacturing uh, these guys were doing a bit of trading and this is actually where Gabe started his business Viscosoft but the reason I thought this would be interesting to to bring on is a we we've never actually talked about bed in a box which not necessarily the first thing you think of about investing but we'd like to cover new industries, new products, and new innovations uh, on the show whenever we get the opportunity. And the second thing is, is crowdfunding is always on, on um, it, well, it's not always on everybody's mind, but investing in startups is becoming increasingly in demand. And more and more people are finding ways to access uh, startups and finding the appeal of investing in startups. And while we've had on the CEO, Howard Marks of Start Engine, we've never actually talked to a company that set up their own campaign on Start Engine or any other crowdfunding platforms. So I wanted to talk to Gabe and get walked through that, that process a little bit and see what's involved and how it's going. So I think we'll, we'll have a very interesting episode ahead. Awesome. Well, let's do it. Here's Gabe Dungan. He's the founder and president of Viscosoft. He's going to talk to Sam about everything, bed in a box, and also doing crowdfunding. This week's sponsor of Invest Like a Boss is Rad Diversified REIT. They have built something that has proven to thrive in good and bad economic times. I'm going to give you seven reasons that make Rad Diversified REIT a fund you should consider. Number one, Rad Diversified REIT has customizable payouts. Create how you want your money to work for you. Number two, Rad Diversified has amassed a portfolio of $67 million in member partnerships. Number three, in 2019, Rad had an annualized return of 44%. Number four, Rad offers monthly distributions, a 5% bottom line guarantee. You can even check out their SEC filing when you head over to raddiversified.com slash boss. Number five, Rad kept its entire staff employed during the pandemic and took zero government assistance while aggressively acquiring assets. Number six, for over a decade, CEO Dutch Mendenhall has been educating others in real estate and streamlining 
outlining how he acquires properties. And number seven, you can invest in Rad for as little as $1,000. Dutch's expertise in residential, commercial, multifamily homes, and even income producing farms like the American Survivalist Projects, which we recently talked about on episode 194, if you want to go back and check that out, is helping to bridge the gap between the rich and the middle class. You can learn more by heading to raddiversified.com slash boss and see how you can be a part of a fund that is a step above others. That's raddiversified.com slash boss. R-A-D-D-I-V-E-R-S-I-F-I-E-D.com slash B-O-S-S. Gabe, my man, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Sam. It's great to be here. I think it's been a few few months since we've seen each other. Last time at a brewery in Charlotte as life in the world was just starting to open back up there and boy, people were really enjoying their beers. <laughs> they were, I think it kind of coincided with uh, the um, CDC kind of lifting the mask mandate and everyone just kind of stripped it off and you know, ran naked <laughs> to <laughs> bars and restaurants, you know, so... Good times. So I wanted to give everyone kind of a quick introduction, um, but it's also good just to recap kind of how, how we crossed paths and originally met. But uh, I was, we were both actually in China going back, I think, close to 10 years now doing different things. But maybe that's a good point for, for you to start just an introduction of uh, you're, you're an American guy, grew up in the States, but you ended up over in China kind of early on. And um, some, some of that background would be great uh, to, to lead with. Yeah, so um, I think I'm a couple years old than you, so I, I uh, made it over there a couple years before. But I um, finished up at uh, my university at Chapel Hill and then uh, bought a one-way ticket uh, to Hong Kong in 2004 uh, and kind of worked for other people for a couple of years um, and then kind of went off on my own um, in 2007 and cut my teeth basically in the kind of export, you know, big volume container business and mainly, uh, you know, textiles and polyurethanes, mm-hmm. um, out of Eastern China. And when, when did you, when did started. you move back to the, to the USA and what was the decision around that? So I moved back in late 2014, early 15. Uh, and you know, we'd kind of moved the business to, I think, you know, a point where we just weren't able to capture as much, um, value in the Western markets kind of being in that, you know, exporter position kind of, still very much private label, still not much value add, you know, big volumes, but kind of lower margins. And so we kind of, I decided to, you know, come home to North Carolina and uh, move to Charlotte and, and pivot the business much more towards direct to consumer kind of uh, digital, um, you know, outlets rather than mm-hmm. just, you know, FOB businesses out of China. So you actually, te- you, you technically started the business in China, but you just, you pivoted and made it a little bit more, more specific uh, once you got back to the States. Yeah, exactly. We, um, so I started it in 2007, um, which at the time it was, uh, I think that's when you kind of started mm-hmm. to deal with China too back then, mm-hmm. but uh, it was really hard to open a company. Like you had to even get um, Beijing's approval to open a Wufi, which is a wholly foreign owned enterprise in China. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't even like at the, the more local level it was, but you know, we got through it and kind of, I think it was, Good to be young and naive <laughs> and and you know kind of kick the business off um, but then yeah we we decided i moved back um so we started the u.s business about a decade ago 
but really only fired up back in 2016 um, when I opened the office here in Charlotte. Right. It's been five years. So, so betting's changed or se- seemingly has changed a lot during that time, during the last decade. And I'm very curious about this whole bet in the box business, like how, how it emerged. Are these beds actually any good? Are any of these businesses like, I think a lot of people probably heard of Casper. It, it seemed like there was like this boom in, in, this, in these style of beds going back um, maybe just like pre-COVID. But are like any of these businesses actually healthy businesses? But maybe just give us an overview of what you've seen changed in the in- industry and kind of the, the emergence of the bed in the box. Yeah, so I think that it was, um, I think it sort of emanated from the fact that like uh, when you went to a mattress store or a furniture store, you didn't have the best experience. Um, and I think that, you know, it kind of felt like a, a used car type of experience um, in general. And so I think that Casper and then a couple others really recognized early on that there was something to um, to take advantage of. And they launched and it took off like a rocket ship um, uh, from a revenue perspective. And they raised a lot of money. And I think that, you know, they went eventually went public, I think, last year. Um, but as you kind of so aptly observed, um, those businesses, uh, most of them don't make money. Um, so they did raise... Um, so they took away about 20% of the market share from uh, mattress and furniture stores um, going direct to consumer, but the unit economics were really, really challenging. So I think that there's, there was a lot to learn from kind of a customer experience perspective and, and how people wanted to buy beds. And to answer your question, um, the, the nature of having a roll packed bed, which is kind of the, the technology that allowed for to drive down shipping costs enough to, um, you know, go through this channel, um, really started to kind of take hold, um, I think around 2011 or so. Um, and so, yeah, it's been a game changer. I think that will continue. I think that will endure the bed in the box kind of roll packed, um, especially now given like the insanity with shipping and everything else in the world. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, to answer your question. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's challenging in general, but most of the businesses, um, are not that healthy you know, kind of from a unit economics perspective. I always thought like what, between clothing and bedding, these are two things that would be very late to come on and be kind of direct to consumers. I'm guessing COVID made a major impact in the bedding industry. I, it would be good to get your view on like when you, when you first saw COVID coming and you knew there was a pandemic on the way, you know, what was your expectations of how it would affect the business? And, and, and was that the case or was it much different? I mean, I don't think anyone had a crystal ball when it, when it comes to this, but I do have kind of a fun, uh, unique story when it comes to that. Um, so my partner, um, a Chinese guy, Rick, who founded the business with me, <clears throat> was actually in the U.S. in January of 2020. Mm-hmm. And um, we were in Las Vegas at uh, the betting show at the World Market Center. And I could see that like, as the information like, was coming across and you know, we were getting up in the morning and reading the news in China, I, I could see the fear like in his eyes kind of coming. And I think that none of us, like particularly as Westerners, kind of like it wasn't instilled in us as much because we didn't live through SARS like mm-hmm. China did, like in 2002, 2003. So he actually, we had to change his ticket because at the time, um, you know, the U.S. was shutting down all flights to China. So he got on the very last flight to China before all the flights were shut off. So it, I, I probably had about a six-week um, preview into like what it might look like just from that. 
Um, but we had no idea kind of uh, what, you know, what's going to happen in terms of, you know, some of our biggest customers like Primark stores um, out of uh, Europe, they've just, you know, basically from mid-March on just totally shut down for months and months and months. So mm. It was very impactful. Um, we had a really rough two weeks from mid-March to late March. And then, you know, the online stuff just took off. Um, so, so your, so your B2B sales to retailers was hurt, but then the, the, the direct to consumer business blew up as a result of COVID. It, it, it did. It grew, um, in a very healthy way. And we had, you know, months where we would have really kind of positive outcomes with Amazon. Really what the trouble was, is just shipping. Mm-hmm. You know, we kind of forget sometimes that like, we think that everything worked perfectly um, with Amazon all the time, two day shipping, prime shipping, like never mm-hmm. think about it, hit the button. And then all of a sudden like COVID hits and it's like, wait a minute, my life was so automated. What is going on now? Right. And, mm-hmm. and that was just something that like, I think it was pretty succinct when it came to, um, you know, the pandemic hitting and, and um, demand being really robust in the U.S. So, so the COVID must have really impacted the, the brick and mortar businesses because you had the pandemic. The last thing people want to do is go lay on a bed in a store after other people do. And, and maybe some of the, the bedding com- uh, brick and mortar stores actually shut down. But do you think that this is this is a long term trend? Do you think more and more people will continue to buy online? And do you have any idea of how much of, of betting sales right now is online versus through brick and mortar? So the betting sales in general, so betting is kind of a big category. So you've got mattresses, right. mattress toppers, you know, you know, and all the kind of accessories. But I think that mattresses has kind of stabilized around twenty percent, which is the biggest category. It's about seventeen billion annually in the United States. Um, I think the other categories are continuing to accelerate. Um, so be it sheets or, you know, all the other accessories, you know, mattress toppers. So we're one of the leaders in the U.S., the mattress toppers. Um, so, yeah, I think it does will kind of continue to accelerate online. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that some of the bigger, more considered purchases, uh, be it furniture, be it, um, you know, a mattress, I still think that there's a big place for, for brick and mortar, um, honestly. And how's technology affected Let's let's not say necessarily betting, but mattress or, or where where does where does technology fit in and and how far does it have to go? When I think of sleeping, I think of getting away from technology. I guess you can term technology in, in different uh, categories in different ways, but um, I'm always thinking, okay, I got to get away from my devices. I need to get into a, a dark room, a quiet room, um, and and try to stay away from technology as much as possible. Where do you see technology in embedding and how's visco soft working with it yeah so i mean we um you know we see the tech moving towards um as becoming living in the bedroom as well but in a very discreet way in which it's almost like uh, it's not noticeable so i think that the form factor is something very important um that we kind of consider so one of the things that we kind of are uh, really pushing towards is integrating you know some pretty cutting edge sensors into our mattress toppers um, to really kind of drive adoption, but to where they kind of like, they're seamless, right? You're not wearing anything. You're not wearing a watch. You're not wearing, you just get in bed, right? And then you forget about it. And then you're able to kind of, it's able to track sleep. It's able to kind of like put in place kind of machine learning algorithms that would, you know, test different temperatures and try to optimize your sleep based on temperature because that's a big piece of it. Um, Another kind of, you know, call them like, automation kind of uh, technologies around um, 
optimizing your sleep environment basically and then making you more aware because there's little things that you can do mm-hmm. like uh like I, one of the things i enjoy about like the apple watch is the breathe um functions like reminds me to like breathe for one minute during the day and it like you can just see like your heart rate go down just like kind of nudging you a little bit rather than like making kind of more behavioral changes if you will yeah That's i, I I haven't talked to you specifically about this point, but I know you're a very big Amazon seller. Yeah. And I I read actually on your crowdfunding campaign that you're top 250 Amazon seller. Can you take us a little bit through how you got so popular on Amazon? I know there's a lot of, a lot of different variables involved in it. And also what, what specifically is an Amazon top 250 seller? So, yeah, I mean, so last year we did just right around 20 million um, in top line revenue on Amazon. Um, and so I think that, I mean, they don't publish those statistics and, um, but basically from what we've been able to surmise around, um, different forums and whatnot, we're, you know, within that range. Um, so really what it is, it's, um, you know, Amazon's a really competitive marketplace, but it also has, it's a traffic machine. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just, it's incredible. It's, it's the, if you go to Google to, you know, seek information, Amazon to shop. It's just the portal of the web um, when it comes to kind of consumption and shopping. So um, there's just so much opportunity on it and it's so vast. Um, But there's a lot of stuff that goes into kind of um, digital marketing around Amazon that's a bit different from your traditional, you know, SEO or affiliate marketing on, you know, on Google um, specifically because a lot of it's geared towards um, optimization of around conversion and not even just conversion, but we'll call it a take. So what Amazon's cut would be for the referral mm-hmm. fee. Um, so I think rankings play a big role as well as kind of balancing out their advertising business as well in there. Um, and so there's a lot of it. And we've had, believe it or not, so we've had been approached by, I, mean, I don't know if this is this is hit your podcast radar, but um, about, I think more than a hundred um, different Amazon aggregators have raised more than $7 billion over the last two years to wow. buy Amazon businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really an interesting and kind of, um, uh, it's an interesting space. It's really evolving quickly. Thrasia is the leader. They've raised about 1.7. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few others behind them. And we've been approached by a few of these, including them, um, about, you know, if we're interested in selling and, <laughs> whatnot um for the moment we're holding off because we still want to uh, kind of execute on our growth plans but yeah it's it's a booming space and it's really helped a lot of kind of mom and pop or even like you know like us a bit of a larger amazon seller to um have an opportunity to exit that business um right. and, and monetize it and the multiples mm-hmm. have gone up a lot too so it's pretty interesting so it's a little bit about the marketing but on the product yeah. side I slept in one of your beds, uh, actually at one of our mutual friend, Chris Gormley's house is just, yeah, just put it on the ground. It was, it was like amazing. And <laughs> I've, never, I've never, I've never had an, an all memory foam bed, but take us through your line, not necessarily of all the bedding products that you guys do, but specifically your mattresses and how they compare to some of the other, the big brands on the, in the industry. So, um, we work with some of the, um, private label, um, you know, the big foamers in the United States to kind of, um, for the foam. Um, but we actually kind of control our covers ourselves in China. So we do all the, um, purchasing work with a, a knitting factory out in, in Zhejiang province. And then we have our own sewing facility, um, to kind of control that side of it. 
is we want to integrate some of our like, cooling technology um, into the covers. So I would say that's really a point of differenti differentiation that we have um, in comparison with other beds. Um, and then, you know, just kind of, you know, experience and feedback that we're constantly using from customers to constantly tweak, you know, the, uh, what are called the low deflection values of the foam mm -hmm. to where they kind of conform to your body and, and allow you to kind of sleep better. So that's and what we're constantly focused on. And are all of your beds memory foam? And if so, are, the, are all those also shipped in a box? All of ours are shipped in a box. Um, we do have a hybrid bed as well, mm -hmm. um, which has six inches of, um, pocketed coils inside of it. So it's kind of a, a mix between a traditional um, bed and, and an all memory foam. Got it. So kind of, yeah, which would be like a Tempur-Pedic or something like that. So one of, one of the reasons beyond exploring uh, your company and the industry, the bed in the box industry per se, or the, bed, the overall bedding industry, which we've not, never talked about before, is you guys just started a, a crowdfunding campaign on Start Engine. We've actually had on Howard Marks, uh, who, who's the founder and CEO behind Start Engine. And I believe they're the biggest platform now in terms of total capital raised through the platform. So it's a, it's a growing business. I actually saw that they're actually doing their own crowdfunding for their company uh, via Start Engine, which is, which is pretty interesting. It's kind of eating your own dog food per se. But equity crowdfunding is, 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 is it's, it's very interesting to say the least. There's a, a few other players in it, but everyone seems to be getting involved or want to be getting involved in startups uh, and also taking more risks nowadays with uh, cryptocurrencies and all these other alternative assets and investments that you can get involved in. But I've never actually spoke to anyone who's done a, a, a full-on equity crowdfunding campaign um, uh, in the USA, only, only in Australia, actually, with a brewery that I'm involved with. But I wanted to hear about the process as a business owner with listing your company on Start Engine and, uh, you know, and, and the legal framework around that and, and kind of what the process was for you. Yeah, so I mean, I won't get into all the minutia because it's, it's just not that interesting. But uh, we basically had to. Um, so we're, uh, you know, a, probably a much more established business, I would say, than most of the the companies um, that are raising on Start Engine. Many of them are pre-revenue or have, you know, maybe a few million dollars of revenue. Um, you know, last year we did about thirty, almost thirty-one million in, in top line, and we're run rating at around thirty-six to thirty-eight this year. So a different. Uh, make up in terms of how we had to approach it and kind of um, protect ourselves legally. So we established a holding company and then basically folded all of our subsidiaries underneath it and had to hire um, pretty high priced lawyers <laughs> to get the forms executed um, in a way that was kind of relatively buttoned up. Um, so it was, um, you know, I had to exercise <laughs> some patience <laughs> in, in getting through, but um you know, we've launched now um, and, you know, we're kind of excited to see um, what the opportunities are. Like I founded the business and never took a, a dollar of outside money. So for me, kind of going to growth equity, you know, I don't want to sell the business right now yet. So um, my idea around, uh, you know, the idea around getting kind of some fuel in to be able to scale, um, you know, both our, you know, a lot of our sales and then obviously the sleep tech that we're kind of looking to, to grow. Mm -hmm. um, it felt like a, a good opportunity um, and a good vehicle um, while still maintaining, you know, a decent level of control. Over yeah. Well, congratulations on growing the business to 30 plus million top line revenue with no outside capital. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. That's, that's, that's pretty rare, but good job. <laughs> Thanks. Pat on the back there, Gabe. So 
<laughs> so that was pretty much your decision to do to do crowdfunding um, as, as kind of your first first capital raise. And the legal the legal framework you said was was enduring, but it seems like most of that was because of of the difference of subsidiaries that you had to kind of bring them under one roof. But if you were just a startup without much revenue or in a pretty simple corporate structure, would would the actual listing uh, process on on Crowd Engine, oh, sorry, the Start Engine, be a lot more straightforward, a lot quicker? It would be. It would be much more templated. We just had to have a lot more language to kind of make explicit the difference between our subsidiaries and our group company, which is the issuer. So that's why. Mm. Okay. And so t- total beyond the, the legal paperwork to get the subsidiaries packaged up, what, what do you think the time frame was from the time that you had a conversation with Start Engine and decided you wanted to move forward to actually uh, getting the listing going? So it took us about four to five months, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is, which is longer, but I would say that uh, for, you know, most startups that, you know, don't have like uh, businesses in multiple countries and have to like fold them all and like, and use PWC to kind of get international. Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All that sort of stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, like they don't have to do that. So I would say that would maybe be a two month, three month process. You just cut it probably in half, I would say. Okay. And now, now with that, that legal framework that you have, would that enable you to go out and be able to, to raise money through other means a lot more efficiently? It would, and that's why our that's our vision, kind of like taking on some capital um, with um, the crowd, um, basically, and then deploying that capital, and then you know as we deploy it and and see kind of we gain traction with it, um, we could either raise again with the crowd or maybe even go out to the VC at that point, um, based on where we are and you know what kind of um, pulses on, on some hardware products and, and services. Right. What kind of traction, how long has the listing been up on Start Engine? What kind of traction do you have yet? It's been up about a week and we've raised about 90K this far. Okay, great. And and how much are you trying to raise in total? So for this initial raise, a million 70,000 is our initial. And then um, if, you know, we get close to that, I'll pivot it up to try to raise a full 5 million is what we'll do. Um, And we'll try to raise that amount probably over the next six to 12 months. Do you have do you have a, a use of finances for we do an, any yeah. raise between that that figure one million and five million? Yeah, so it kind of breaks down to about twenty percent R and D, about forty percent working capital requirements, mm-hmm. about ten um, percent for employment, and then the rest would probably be like inventory. So it's, it's a it's a it's a mix, and we've right. got it all kind of outlined. But obviously, it's a blueprint, right? You always pivot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. All right. So you, you, you get, you're getting money into the company for growth. What do you see over the next few years in the industry or in sleep tech? What excites you that you'll be able to, to do with new capital? Um, and, you know, I assume you have grander plans for the business longer term, but what excites yeah. you over the next few years? So some of the stuff that we're like super excited about is to kind of um, get a smart mattress topper. Um, so you know, next year, risk goes off. Um, we project to sell between three and 400,000 mattress hoppers in the United mm-hmm. States. So um, our ability to kind of launch a, uh, a smart topper and maybe even sell between 30 to 50,000 um, would be an incredible win mm-hmm. from our perspective and, and really learn from um, the early adopters uh, of that product and do so at like an affordable um, price point. You know, I think that there are other players like sleep number, um, and uh, I think Eight Sleep is another one who have, they've done a pretty good job, um, but those price points are in the thousands of dollars, 
we want to kind of really attack um, in the hundreds of dollars and think about it kind of like from a, you know, a Google home or an Amazon echo perspective to, to drive a lot more adoption. So that's kind of our vision for, um, for doing that. And then obviously, you know, working on, on to build a, you know, a service that integrates with, you know, different meditation apps or other apps that kind of help around sleep. Um, and, and then obviously, um, obviously there's a data play probably behind that, everything anonymized, but, um, around potentially healthcare, um, there's some opportunities there. And then the final opportunity that we would be excited about is kind of a sleep market Mm -hmm. on the app whereby we kind of bring in other companies, products and, and have an affiliate marketing opportunity to kind of drive sales to those from, from the app with our users. Sounds like a, the, the big plants. So, so, sounds very interesting for a, a betting company. Not not historically a super interesting company, but uh, seems like technology <laughs> and innovations making its way into every single market now. Gabe, before we wrap up, you want to give a plug to your company, ViscoSoft, and also where people can find the crowdfunding campaign. Yeah, absolutely. Um, appreciate it. Um, so you can just Google um, so it's startengine.com uh, slash ViscoSoft. Or um, you can just Google, um, you know, start uh, ViscoSoft on Start Engine. It's the page is already indexed. I checked it, so <laughs> <laughs> great. Should be able to find it pretty easily. Okay, good stuff, Gabe. Well, best of luck with your uh, completing your crowdfunding campaign. We'll we'll pay uh, pay attention to it. Interested to hear more about how it goes and and kind of how uh, Start Engine helps market the campaign and how you're able to to continue to grow that. I know it's not um it's not as simple as just putting it live and, and watching it fill up in most cases. No, it's, so it's, not. <laughs> it's, it's, an, it's an ongoing effort, uh, exactly. but good luck, man. And um, looking forward to getting my, my mattress topper. I think you're, you're going to ship one to, to Barcelona. I, I, uh, I'm a proud owner of, of six shares of, of uh, ViscoSoft. <laughs> so uh, pay attention to that. And thanks for coming on, sharing a little bit about bed and box industry and, and kind of how, how mattresses and bedding has, has been evolving and where it's going to go in the future. Thank you so much for having me on, Sam. Really appreciate it. Sam, once again, we have a subject that on the surface doesn't sound that exciting, but this is like really innovative and different. And it's something that I've recently done myself too. So I see the the business purpose as well. Well, tell me about your bed in a box purchase. I didn't know you were... You were such an early adopter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always on the cusp of new technology. <laughs> um, so the reason the reason I went bed in a box was more for time. So I work seven days a week. I'm always busy. And these stupid mattress stores are open like 9 to 6 p.m. or something. It's mm-hmm. You literally cannot just go buy a mattress at night. It's It doesn't exist. So <laughs> mine is more for, for time purposes and, and saving time. So... I had a lot of issues with this though. I, I actually ordered off Amazon because I found the mattress. First of all, I found the mattress I wanted. Um, I got referred to from a friend. I actually actually sat on the other mattress. I was like, oh, this is really nice. I want this one. So I found that one. And then I ordered it on Amazon and like a week goes by and then they go, oh, there's manufacturing problems. We can't ship it to you. And then it's just refunded my money. So I was like, okay, that's really weird. I find another one, uh, same mattress, order it again. And then they say, we can't ship it to California. And I was like, how is this so difficult? <laughs> well, come to find out, California recently passed a law 
another brilliant law from the oh, here we go here in California here we go. <laughs> that <laughs> if you buy a mattress when it's delivered, they also have to take your old mattress away. So the reason for this is here's the fun part is because so many people, especially in my neighborhood, just throw out their old mattresses and put them in the street. So the reasoning is they want they want to make sure there's less mattresses in the street. So it's kind of like it's kind of like. So uh, do you think that this no, this is an interesting one? Do you think this is because they literally don't want mattresses there being littered, or do you think that it invites more homeless people to take residence in California? Sam, if I drive three <laughs> blocks from my place, I will I will see four homeless people sleeping on mattresses. Well. <laughs> But is it is that not better than them sleeping on the ground? I mean, are you you guys <laughs> are think, humane? I don't think either one is a good option. <laughs> so, so you would rather you would rather spend uh, you'd rather the state spend two hundred dollars a night to put them in a hotel than uh, uh, never mind. This is this is not this is not this is not good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, anyways, they wouldn't deliver the mattress. Um, I actually found another company that I don't think legally was supposed to deliver the mattress, but they did anyways. And it was a whole process. Um, it took like probably from start to finish a month to get my mattress. So thankfully I actually had a mattress before that, but had I just been moving to a new place, I, I wouldn't have had a mattress for almost a month. So it was actually a huge mess. And I hope it's not that bad for people in States that are a little more sane, but in the end, I'm happy because the mattress is like the best mattress I've ever had. Is it really? Okay, cool. Yeah. Because the way you were building up to the story, I was thinking it was a bad experience. So you got a mattress that had that's part spring, part memory or part yeah memory foam, and it's ninety five pounds, and it came rolled up in a box, and you you got it. It's working for you now. Yeah, I bet the box was probably it's probably a square, yeah, like a long rectangle, and it's probably no uh -huh. more than like twelve inches wide. Okay, it's heavy, cool, heavy, and uh, yeah. within within a day. It's, you know, it's, it goes from like a few inches thick to like, I think it's, it's like 12 inches, 12 or 14 inches. Like it's a big bed and it, it takes about 24 hours, but then it's, it's good to go. It was, um, it was worth the wait. I think it's, it's amazing. It's called a, it's called a hybrid, uh, technology. So it's got, it's got some springs, it's got foam and it's also got a pillow top on top of it. Cool. And how much was it? Um, it wasn't that bad. I think I want to say it was, it was like five or $600. Okay. So that's, it's not like a super cheap one. It's kind of probably middle of the road. Yeah. Mid range. I think something like that. And, um, there, yeah, I mean, you can go, you can go as high as a couple thousand bucks. And when you think about it, they always like, Oh, it's, it's a third of your life you spent on, uh, spent on your mattress. And it yeah. really is though. <laughs> like it's not that much yeah. when you break it down like per night. I used to think that way. I'm like, Oh, you spend so much time. You got to get the best bed. And I believed that for a long time. And now just because I sleep in so many different beds, I don't actually think it matters that much, you know, like I'm in a new hotel every night back in, in Barcelona, I have a bed in South Carolina, I have a bed, Thailand, I have a bed. They're all different beds and I sleep pretty much the same everywhere. Here's the, here's the thing. So though, I, Sam. I think it makes sense to have a good bed, but I don't know that you like, it's worth like just going insane about the, the choice selection, you know? Yeah. Here's the thing that I want to bring up though. I'm, I'm kind of thinking about you and Johnny. So think about, 
the places don't that think you... about me and johnny and ben, <laughs> in the bed, okay separate separate this out <laughs> separate beds separate beds stay with me here <laughs> think think about the level of places you johnny stay. would johnny would definitely <laughs> want to share a bed to save the money for sure <laughs> exactly so think about the places you stay and the places that johnny stays so i've stayed in a place where johnny stays and these beds <laughs> are awful <laughs> I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the place in Kiev that he rented. Oh, that my. Was I, like, I wasn't even sure there was, was a mattress on the bed. It's like if you if you mixed like student accommodation with like free free like, <laughs> free housing in like like Bosnia for homeless people. No offense to Bosnians. You could just replace Bosnia with, with any place, California. With, with California. <laughs> that, that happens to also have like a meth lab on the back. That, that was the place <laughs> that we were staying in Kiev. And I get off the flight and Derek's in there. And, and like Derek Scott was given like the third bed, right? So I had like the second bed, which was like this supposed to be the nicer room. Johnny had, of course, the, the master bed, which no one ever saw, but imagine it's not any, any nicer. <laughs> I walked in and I'm like, happy birthday, Johnny. And I'm like, I got to go. <laughs> I literally <laughs> walked out with no, no cell service, no Wi-Fi service. I just grabbed my suitcase, walked out, walked down the block <laughs> until I saw the first decent hotel, which was the Intercontinental. And I'm just like, I'm like, just give me a room, room now. They're like, uh, $400 a night. I'm like, oh my God. I didn't think anything in Kiev was, was more than a hundred. I'm like, just give me a room. <laughs> I, I took I took a room for three nights. So, so yeah, I, it, was, it was rough. There's, there's plenty of use cases for a lot of places that need new beds. So I, I see the yeah. use of okay. this business. That is an extreme. That's an extreme example though. When, when bed shopping for new beds in, a civilized place um yeah i, I think because you, you could easily get carried away with like trying to over optimize on your mattress um and there are some i mean there's some fine mattresses i actually got a really funny story about this not um i was doing ancestry.com um you know got, got into it kind of over christmas last year and and got my ancestry back to kind of the late 1600s in the usa and then i kind of lost visibility on that arm of my ancestry, but through ancestry.com, I found, I mean, the late 1600s was pretty, pretty near the founding of, of the U S colonies, right? Yeah. Your family so, was uh, I mean, OGs in the U S that, that was rough times. That was rough times in the Northeast. And th so the first person that I could trace back to that time in my family, we found an inheritance note that was somehow on ancestry.com and you know, I could, I could trace it all the way, all the way through my family. And there was an inheritance note talking about what they were leaving to what would have been like my fifth in line, great grandfather or something like that from my sixth in line, great grandfather. And one of the few things that he was leaving in his will was a feather mattress. Oh, nice. So he had like acquired this feather mattress that he was so proud of, like during his lifetime. And he was passing that feather mattress on to the, the next in line. It's pretty amazing, actually, to think about. And then, no. and then when you put it in, in context of today, imagine your parents leaving you a mattress and be right? like, okay, that, yeah. uh, that's uh, going to the dumpster. <laughs> Certainly become much more of a commodity. But think about, think about how, how much history there is between or behind betting sales. You know, they always say that the first profession was what, Derek? 
the first profession uh, or the oldest profession. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> Times, right? So, but what? But what goes hand in hand with with prostitution? Guess, yeah, you need a bed for that too. So, <laughs> betting. So, what came first, the the bed salesman or the prostitute? Is that's what I'm getting at? The great philosophical question. <laughs> We answer them all on Invest Like a Boss. Yeah, we talk, we, we cover it all. So there's there's a lot of history between, behind bed sales. I think it's there. There hasn't been a ton of innovation. You could you could argue that the bed in the box is is the one of the, the greatest innovations ever to bedding, right? I mean, it basically went from like feather beds and like hay beds to some type of spring beds, and then in a box that's we're talking five thousand years right yeah and well and just getting it down to the size that it is now is is amazing um because what a what a pain in the ass to ship it before all this even i'll tell you one other thing that hasn't changed much in five thousand years maybe one one reiteration two reiterations similar mattresses or toilets it was basically a hole in the ground then the porcelain toilet and now you can go, you can stretch that a little bit to these like Japanese electronic ones that are all suited, you know, decked out. But other than that, toilet's kind of kind of a toilet. But yeah, I it's just it's just an added technology. I saw this new one uh, that's coming out that it'll actually like do a it'll it'll test like like all your all your ball movements and everything, and it'll it'll be able to screen if you have cancer or anything like that. That's coming soon. So. Wow. Wow. Cool I don't know if... <laughs> All right. Well, let me know when you get your bowels checked and <laughs> do an episode on that. Right. So ViscoSoft, onto ViscoSoft. So Gabe's business, they've been in business about 10 years. The start engine valuation is 50 million, which is, which at a glance seems high, but they're doing 30 million in revenue. Um, they've sold 10 million units of bedding. Uh, I think that's a, a mattresses and accessories. At retailers alone, so big retailers, people in Europe will know Primark in the U.S., TJ Maxx, Marshalls, Home Goods, Burlington. So they're in some really good prime uh, retailers. And of course, they have their Amazon business, a pretty durable business. And when you think about valuations, you know, thirty million in revenue. That's that's a, that's a decent sized company. So I'd say they're basically growth stage. And kudos to Gabe because this is their first fundraise. You know, he's got the business to that size just himself going over to China, going back 10, 12 years ago and hustling and basically starting the trade and then coming back to the US and, and basically setting up the brand and now evolving that into sleep technology, which I imagine is where they think they'll get the, the, the really exciting growth out of the business. So yeah, it's pretty cool. And I, I thought it was interesting going through some of the mechanics of start engine and just the setup there. It sounds like the legal process really got held up, but not necessarily because of the crowdfunding or, or the start engine campaign, but just because he had to bring in different entities under one corporate umbrella in order to be able to do that. But I think for the average company that's a little bit a little bit smaller and got less moving parts and certainly a more simple corporate structure, that it would be pretty easy to get set up and, and launched on on crowdfunding um, on crowdfunding specifically with start engine. Um, I don't know any of the history of performance of start engine beyond the episode that we did with Howard Marks, but I did just get a NDI, uh, NDA signed actually with one of our previous sponsors, our crowd and got a look at all the deals that they've previously put through on their platform and the winners and the losers and the, the, the um, you know, the, 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 what we call it, not the ties, but the, uh, 
break evens, I guess. Sure. And they've they've got some. I mean, they've got some incredible deals that they've done. And overall, they're they're up. I can't give specifics on it, but I mean, there's these these platforms have deals going through them that are making people a lot of money. And of course, there's losers as well. But uh, I think it's you know, startups are becoming part of a lot of people's portfolio. Yeah. So can um. Y- you actually said that you did personally invest into Visco Soft. Uh, can you mm-hmm. walk us through the process of that? Because I'm trying to think back to how Start Engine works, and I'm just want to get reminded a little bit and help the listeners kind of walk through the process. And obviously, you don't need to be accredited, right? I don't even remember to be honest. Okay. Well, either way, <laughs> well, I, I don't think just, so because, or if it, if if, it, if you do, it's like check the box type of thing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I only say I mean, that because was, the, the shares are, are really uh, cost effective for someone, you know, that doesn't have a lot to invest. It's actually, you can buy a share of yeah. Microsoft for $189. Um, and as of recording this, they had just listed. So it's a brand new listing. They've raised about $100,000. They're looking to do about mm-hmm. $1.1 $1. $1 million. Um, but it's early. So there's still time if you're listening to this right away. And uh, so, Sam, why don't you tell us about how much you invested, how many shares you got, uh, what you got with that, and what the process was like through Start Engine. Yeah, so I I just invested a thousand dollars, which was a which was enough to get me into the perk. So kind of the cool thing with Start Engine when you invest, if the the listing decides to, if the company decides to, they can offer perks for different levels. So with Visco Soft, they had perks for different levels on up from two hundred and fifty dollars, and I think the next one was five hundred, and the next one was a thousand. So I did the thousand dollar one, and with that, they'll ship you a mattress topper anywhere. And so that was, that was, you know, besides thinking, you know, knowing Gabe and thinking it's kind of cool to, to set up uh, an initial investment through one of these crowdfunding platforms and learn the process, the, that perks like a, that's like a $300 perk right there. And in my Barcelona place, the interior designer decided to pick the most firm mattress you could ever imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and because I was in the US when she bought them, I didn't really have a uh, ability to test them out. So it's like literally laying on cardboard or on, on a piece of wood. Uh, so I needed a mattress topper or I need to get a whole new nat- mattress. So it was actually, it was kind of perfect timing um, to have this. So that mattress topper is on the way to my place in Barcelona. And once I get back from Ireland, I should have it. I'll give everyone a, uh, a review of what I think. That's awesome. Yeah. I would look forward to hearing that. Um... As for the process of, of the start engine, I mean, it's, it was super easy. And this was what's cool about crowdfunding now and investing in startups. Traditionally, investing in startups, is for, especially for equity, is like a lot of work, right? It's just a right. lot of paperwork to review. Um, you get, Often you get lawyers involved in stuff. And then it, this thing called the convertible note was created in the safe, which makes it just a lot easier to get into them. But now actually, it's like with... Um, with Start Engine, like it was literally just like two or three clicks, and I put in a credit card, and they ran my credit card. I mean, I think the whole thing was like probably start to finish, including setting up the account on Start Engine. I think the whole thing was probably like two minutes to invest. Now you really should review all the paperwork, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of just like <clears throat> workflow and stuff, it's super easy. But also just for other, a lot of other companies are using something that's called Carta and Carta is to manage like cap table, but also to manage like, all the investment papers in the round. And I just invested into a startup. Uh, actually it was Gemini, not, not, what well, is a startup, I guess, uh, Gemini and their series B. 
And that was all put through Carta. And dude, that was so easy as well, man. Like maybe, maybe a little bit longer than start engine. Maybe it was like four or five minutes, but it was super, super easy. And so it's, it's becoming a lot easier to, to get into these investments. Again, you want to go through the paperwork, but um, if you don't, it can be very fast. That's really good to know. And then uh, how does this compare to, to your other more traditional startups that the, maybe expected hold time or expected return on any of these shares? Uh, how, do you, how does something where that's crowdfunded kind of compare in that sense? I, I don't think it that has any difference. You know, it, it t- totally depends on the company, the company's growth expectations and what they're trying to do with a company. I don't think it matters if you go through a crowdfunding platform or necessarily even what round of, of, of investing that you're doing between seed rounds, series A, B, C, uh, typically later stage companies, like even, even Gabe's, Gabe's company's first round of fundraising, but they're a later stage company are a little bit closer to acquisition, but you see early stage companies get acquired all the time. So I think it's more dependent on, on the founder and what they're trying to do with the business because they might very well get an acquisition offer and they might just turn it down. We saw Zuckerberg do that, right? And delay kind of the, the liquidity of Facebook for several more years, uh, but it all worked out for everybody. All right, that's awesome. So if you want to invest in in ViscoSoft, we're actually going to put a link to directly invest uh, in the show notes and on the website so you can check that out. Uh, Sam, do you plan on investing more in this? I mean, $1,000 is, you know, for you. Come on now, kick it up. My metaverse portfolio has wiped out my cash and I'm now <laughs> scrambling to figure out what I can sell to, to raise more cash uh, because the, the original allotment for the metaverse has gone way, way up. And I don't know if you looked at a lot of the metaverse stocks lately, but they're all kind of down 10 or 15%. More on that in the quarterly updates <laughs> coming up. <laughs> no, uh, I, I want to get involved. I just start, started an account also on our crowd. And there's there's some great deals on our crowd. There's some great opportunities in Start Engine. So my next investments will be putting together sort of a kind of a, uh, sort of kind of a crowdfunding um, portfolio as well, because I think this is these are great opportunities. There's really good companies that are going through here. Even like ViscoSoft, this is their first fundraising uh, campaign, and they're you know they're they're doing thirty million dollars already a year in, in revenue. So good companies are going to these crowdfunding platforms versus going towards private equity or more traditional routes. Um, so it's great to, to see that. And, and with that, you know, there's opportunity. Yeah. Awesome. I'm going to take a look into this too, because I, I'm not really in anything startup. So it's seeing this and it's a really uh, low entry level. I think it's a, it's a really good opportunity to kind of dip your toes into it. And I also like that, you know, if you spend a thousand bucks and you, and you get a $300 mattress topper, I mean, that's pretty awesome. Plus you get involved in a startup and you can get a return on that. So I, I really like this idea too. Uh, if you want to invest, like I said, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. And speaking of quarterly updates, I think we're about two weeks away from that. So Sam, you got a ton of updates for us. Looking forward to that. And we also have our boss insider coming up. The second one, we had a really great time on the first one last month. Uh, Dutch Mendenhall, the CEO of Rad Diversified will be our guest on October 24th. That's going to be an interesting one to say the least. And then we got them planned out. Uh, at least the next few months out, I think, uh, Viscosoft Gabe might actually be a good boss insider too. Uh, if you guys think that would be fun, hit us up in the Patreon. It's investlikeaboss.com. Click on become a patron Plans start as low as five bucks a month and you get access to full quarterly updates, Sam and Johnny's portfolios, 
uh, these boss insider calls, which are super cool. You get to talk directly to CEOs of these guests that we've had on in the past. And there's just a ton of great stuff. First moves that Sam and Johnny makes. Uh, it's really good value. So check it out. Patreon is at investlikeaboss.com. Click on become a patron. Sam, what else you got? Dude, this has been the busiest quarter of my life <laughs> in terms of investing. I don't know how it happened. All of a sudden, I just kind of just snapped into motion. I think there's a lot of opportunities. And last quarter, I had liquidated quite a few different investments, including one of my, my own startups. So I had a little bit more uh, gas to work with. But man, I had I had seven or eight big moves um, that we're going to cover. And, and even things like Fundrise, Dude, my Fundrise was up 10% this last quarter. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, I just did Eric. my monthly my monthly report last month and I was like I had to double check my Fundrise numbers cuz I was like this is this right? So Yeah. Very good. It's crazy. It's they well. sent out an email cuz my buddy wrote me he's like, "Dude, just got a massive uh increase in appreciation in my Fundrise account." And I'm like, "Oh, they must have liquidated an asset or something." And then he forwarded me the email that they sent out that was basically explaining why. And I was like, holy shit, this is great. Um, so yeah, lots, lots of stuff going on from properties in Thailand, wine investments and in fine wine, my metaverse portfolio. I invested in two new startups. Uh, we had the, the carbon credits uh, index that's been on fire ever since we, we did that. Yeah, so lots, lots going on and looking forward to, to that very much. And uh, other than that, now I know a little bit more about bed in a box and start engine um, mechanics. So that, that's been fun. Derek, uh, catch you soon. Hey, and if you do invest in ViscoSoft and you don't want your mattress topper, you might just go ahead and do Johnny a favor and send it to him because you know he's <laughs> sleeping on a rock hard bed if he even ordered a bed for his new place. That is amazing advice to go on. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.